1: Tough blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always, and today we are looking back at the Tar Heels spring game. I will uh, break down what we saw from uh, each position group. I'll tell you a little bit about each position group, what I thought of their performance, Um, We're also here from a guy that was on the broadcast, Tom Lugenbill of ESPN, stops by with us. He's going to talk a little bit about what he saw out there, the expectations for the Tar Heels in this upcoming 2022 season. And we also ask him a little bit about the 2023 recruiting class and whether or not Carolina fans uh, should be a little bit concerned uh, about the fact that Carolina is not off to the start that they were off to in the recruiting class a year ago. But let's jump into it. And let's talk about Carolina's performance in the spring game. Uh, It was a good showing for the Tar Heel offense. There's no denying that. You had some guys that really stood out. And, of course, let's start with the quarterbacks. That's the one that everybody wants to talk about. And we got to look at all three quarterbacks. There was apparently a coin flip between the three quarterbacks, and that's what led to Drake May being the first quarterback on the field, the redshirt freshman quarterback, of course, at Myers Park High School. You had Connor Harrell, the freshman out of Thompson High School in Alabama. He got the second go-around, the true freshman, early enrollee. And then Jacoby Criswell, who I did get his class wrong, as you would probably expect I would. He is a sophomore uh, out of Morlton High School in Morlton Arkansas. Each guy got their chance to go out there uh, and and basically show what they had against some of their uh some of their fellow competitors in this quarterback battle. Um, I thought, you know, all three guys looked pretty good. Um, I think, you know, out of the group, I would say it was pretty clear, at least to me, that Jacoby Criswell was the best of the group. Um, But, again, that's, you know, there have been multiple scrimmages throughout the year, so there's no saying that uh, there haven't been times where other guys have looked better. But Criswell, 6 of 6, 104 yards And a touchdown, a beautiful deep ball throw uh, to Josh Downs on his first drive in the game. He finished that off with a nice throw uh, off-platform for the touchdown to Josh Downs. So, a lot of good things to like about what he did out there. As for Drake May, pretty solid day for him as well. 9 of 12 uh, through the air. He also uh, finished the day with 113 yards passing and a touchdown of his own. He threw that one conveniently. To Josh Downs, um, and yeah, really, I, I thought looked the part. Um, I, I thought he was extremely accurate uh, with a lot of his throws. Didn't put any really in an area that uh, could have been you know d- d- of danger for uh, the Carolina offense and for himself. Um, and, and I thought just looked the part of a guy that is in this quarterback competition for the long haul. And then Connor Harrell, you know, he he uh, you know had four of seven. 30 yards passing wasn't quite as dynamic as the other two quarterbacks, but the thing that really stinks for Harrell is one of his biggest plays of the day, which was a long touchdown pass to Kobe Paceauer was taken off the board uh, because of a penalty. So, Carolina, I, I think they've got a really good problem to have at this point in the offseason. You've got three quarterbacks right now that are pretty much in a heated battle. The good news is, is look, this isn't unfamiliar territory for Mac Brown in terms of his, you know, just coaching career. He's been here a few times. And it isn't, you know, really something that's foreign to Carolina. They were in this situation three years ago. Um, and, and look, Sam Howell, I think a lot of people were expecting he would go ahead and win the job at some point. He eventually did, but these were you know, three pretty talented quarterbacks. This group, I think, is probably a little more tightly compact in terms of the skill set, in terms of especially what you know about these guys. They're not quite as well-known as, as Sam Howell coming in, um, but it really looks like you're going to probably be down to, I would imagine, a two-horse race at some point. I would think Jacoby Criswell and Drake May will probably separate themselves, mainly because I think you look at Connor Harrell – um, definitely the more slight of the group, uh, definitely a thinner guy because he is an early enrollee, true freshman. But I think he's he, he's going to keep himself in the battle for a while. Um, But there's not that guy that I feel like is assumed at this point. I think, again, a lot of people thought Drake May was going to be that guy. But as it's progressed more and more here, I think people are starting to realize Jacoby Criswell is in this thing Um, You know, not only just to compete, but to win this job. And he more than has the tools to get this done. He is an extremely talented player himself. There's a reason he was a four-star. And there's a reason that his comparison when he was coming out of high school in terms of a player comp was Sam Howell. He fits this offense very, very well. So this is going to be a battle that goes down to the end. But I thought on Saturday, Jacoby Criswell got the best of the group. You go to the backfield – There were a lot of guys that got carries here. And the guy that I was watching going in that I thought would have a really big day was George Petaway. He was the quietest of the group. He had four carries for 16 yards, two catches for one yard. And look, this isn't a bad day for him. But in terms of what everybody else that took carries in the backfield did, this definitely, I think, sort of hurt the confidence that I had going in that he will be a feature piece of this Tar Heel backfield rotation this year because I think there's other guys that are proving they're going to battle for some of those carries. Mac Brown says they want to have three guys back there, and I think that's the number that they're trying to get to, but there are more than three guys battling for that spot behind British Brooks. British Brooks, you know, he looked good um, himself. I mean, four carries. Uh, for 25 yards, Um, but, you know, they took him out pretty quickly. They knew what they wanted to get out of him early on, just get him a couple carries, get him off the field, and allow some of the other guys to do battle I thought DJ Jones had a pretty solid day for himself seven carries 31 yards kind of did what we expect from him um you know he's kind of he definitely has that quickness in between the tackles but I think he's going to be one of those guys that Carolina is going to look to when they need a guy that can run with a little bit of an edge uh, um, Kamaro Edmonds, he had himself a nice day. Now, granted, those came in garbage time. His four carries for 50 yards, but he ripped off the 34-yarder, and I think you know that that was something that is is positive to finish off with as he heads into uh, the break during over the summer, and we'll see what he can come back and do. Uh, it didn't feel like he was really a part of that major group in the backfield because it took him so long to be able to get those carries. Um eventually when they went to some of the backups, I mean he was in there with, you know, Jefferson Boaz and 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 Russell Tabor when they got in there. But I, I still feel like this is a guy that is worth keeping an eye on just because of the fact that he was a four star recruit coming out of high school. He's got the size on him, so it, it's definitely one to note. But the guy that I think had the best day for himself back there, and I think has been forgotten about in this conversation in the backfield, and that needs to be recognized a little bit moving forward back here, is Elijah Green. Um, you know, he, he was a guy that came in, and one of the things about him that most people probably didn't know coming out of high school was this dude had never caught a pass out of the backfield, not at the high school level. Um, the, the offense that they ran at Blessed Trinity High School in Roswell, Georgia. Um, was really just a run-first offense. It was a traditional old-school offense. They handed him the ball and let him go to work, and it worked. It carried them to state championships, but he was a guy that really didn't know how to pass protect and wasn't really all that familiar with catching the ball out of the backfield. So now he is a sophomore, um, and he's a guy that I think is looking like he's starting to settle in a little bit. Um, he's got the speed. There's never been a question about that. He ripped off a 36-yarder uh, in the game on Saturday, and he finished the day with nine carries, 461 yards, and a touchdown. I thought he looked really, really good. But the most encouraging thing was he had two catches out of the backfield for 15 yards. He did a bunch of different things for Carolina. This is a guy that – and and, you know, I'm part of the group that did this – I think everybody kind of looked at the influx of talent that was coming in. We heard, you know, everything that we heard a year ago about Caleb Hood when he first came in. Uh and and that kind of pushed Elijah Green to the back burner. Now, I think it's time to take him seriously in this race for reps. Caroline is looking for a guy that's got a little bit of speed here. I know British Brooks showed that at times last year, but I think he's going to be that guy that's going to be looked to to be kind of that complete back, that guy that can show off the speed sometimes, but that can kind of run through guys as well. Elijah Green can give you that speed on the edge. That is the type of home run hitter that Carolina wants in this backfield because they're losing that guy in Ty Chandler uh, from this past season, so maybe Elijah Green can serve in that type of role this year. And what he showed on Saturday, I think, should give Tar Heel fans, you know, a, a little bit of a pause when it comes to, you know, just kind of looking at guys like George Petaway, D.J. Jones, and Caleb Hood, and thinking those are the guys that are going to be battling in the fall. Elijah Green needs to be taken seriously here. Unfortunately, Caleb Hood was not active for the game on Saturday. He was on the sidelines, saw him standing there with his teammates, um, but looks like an an injury issue for him, and so far, uh, he's had a rough go of it with injuries. Of course, he started out last year, um, got the opportunity in, in the game against Virginia, and looked pretty good, but then goes down with the injury in the game against Georgia Tech, and... Didn't resurface until late in the year, and even there, still limited in the carries that he saw. And then going into camp here, it was believed that he was fully healthy again. Don't know if he got banged up again or uh, if that wasn't actually the case, if he was still a little bit limited. Uh, But unfortunately, he was not able to be a part of uh, the group that was out there on Saturday, so we really didn't get to see what he displayed. Now, one of the areas that a lot of people have been looking at and were probably focused on on Saturday after the comments from Mac Brown about how thin Carolina is at this position group is wide receiver. And, look, first of all, let's just throw this out there. Josh Downs, no matter where you put him, no matter who you put on him, this guy has the talent to get the job done. Uh, ACC teams, I think, need to be pretty afraid of what this dude's going to bring to the table this year. Uh, he was phenomenal in this game on Saturday. Uh, he had four catches for 95 yards and two touchdowns, uh, and, and just did Josh Downs things. He created separation so easily. He you know had two long catches down the field. This guy looks the part every time he's out there on the field. There's no questions about him. I thought uh, for the most part, Antoine Green looked pretty solid as well. He had three catches on the day for 24 yards, five targets. So I thought, you know, he did a pretty solid job out there. Um, you know, again, the thing for him is consistency. I don't think there's any question of if he can do it. Is It's really just if he can do it at a consistent level moving forward. Outside of that, there were some interesting takeaways. First of all, the thing that I was most interested in coming out of the gate of this game of course, offensive line and how they set up was was very interesting, but the wide receiver spot was the other area that my eyes immediately went to because Bryson Nesbitt got the start on the outside at the beginning of the game. So he was one of the outside receivers opposite of Antoine Green, and he was the first guy that got reps out there. So... Carolina is going to use him in a multitude of different ways, and he is an extremely versatile weapon. Carolina hasn't had a tight end this athletic since they had Eric Ebron, and it looks like they're going to use him at wide receiver if need be. Now, look, Carolina's still got some guys that I think are – coming back from injury you know Justin Olsen was a little bit limited to start camp and he was a big factor for Carolina a year ago you still got some guys that are probably more natural fits at the position in Kobe Paceauer and JJ Jones but I think Bryson Nesbitt is going to make a run for reps here and they're going to put him on the outside they're going to move him around um, he finished the day with two catches for 12 yards but I thought he definitely looked the part on the outside. I thought he you know, ran a couple of really good routes early in the game, and he's a guy to keep an eye out for at the wide receiver position because I think that Carolina had tight end, and we'll lump them in here as well. You know, you've got Kamari Morales. He had one catch for eight yards, but we know what Kamari Morales can do. He was a big red zone threat for Carolina in the first half of the year, but once teams started keying in on that – he sort of got taken away, but we know that he is more than capable of being a weapon for Carolina in the red zone on third downs and really just overall as he continues to grow uh in this offense. And then I thought John Copenhaver, you know, he had the one catch for twenty nine yards uh on a beautiful wheel route down the field where he took advantage of of the young, uh true freshman linebacker, uh, Sebastian Cheeks, who we'll talk about here in a minute. But I think that he showed some pretty good things. He was in there pretty often. I thought he blocked pretty well. That was one of the things that was a concern with him. But Carolina is extremely deep at the tight end position. That was an area that was a concern a couple of years ago. And now John Lilly has come in and just loaded that group. A lot of talent. A lot of guys that have really bought into what their roles are. And it's working out well. And you'll still see Bryson Nesbitt there at some times. But the fact that you have Morales and Copenhaver – I think sort of gives you that flexibility. Now, in terms of the other two main guys that you talk about when you talk about this wide receiver battle, Kobe Paceauer, I thought he looked the better of the two and he had, you know, just one catch for 22 yards um and and people will say, "Well, how great of a day actually was that?" Well, he did have a longer pass down the field that uh, that that he caught for a touchdown that was called back. I just thought he took the top off the defense a little bit better. I thought he caught the ball just a little bit better. But at the same time, I I do think that JJ Jones, there's a lot of potential there still with him. There's a reason why he was a he was the guy that got the opportunity last year after you saw Choffrey Brown leave, after you saw Emory Simmons leave, and you know, after you, you went through the experiment with Justin Olsen and he just wasn't contributing as much as you probably thought he should have been contributing. So there is a role there, I think, for him. But I think that battle between him and J.J. Jones is going to be extremely interesting, and I think Pace Hour got the better of him. Another interesting guy that was out there, we saw a little bit more of him than we've seen before, was Gavin Blackwell. He had one catch for eight yards. I think that, especially with the thought of Carolina being able to move Josh Downs around, as Mac Brown talked about, I think there is potentially a role for him. So I I think there is a lot of talent in this room, and I think it showed at times on Saturday, but you're still looking for guys that can step up and do it on a consistent basis because that was the issue last year. There were a couple of guys that would step up for you know a half or two, but would kind of disappear after that. Can they find those guys this year that can be more consistent for a group of quarterbacks that is probably going to need that? Because there are going to be some growing pains for them. And also, what is the role of Bryson Nesbitt in this offense? Is he going to spend most of his time at wide receiver? or is he a guy that gets to move back into tight end when they do bring in some extra resources, when guys are fully healthy in the fall? We'll have to wait and see on that. You move to the offensive line, I thought the first unit looked great. Uh, And again, they went up against, for the majority of the time, that second-string unit. But I thought this group looked tremendous. They allowed one tackle for loss, and I I thought you know that was just a play where – Ed Montillas was bested. Uh, other than that, I thought they looked fantastic, um, and I thought that was a really encouraging sign. Um, I know that it's, as I mentioned, against the second stringers, but you're looking for any hope with this backfield. This is a defense, or excuse me, with this offensive line. This offensive line a year ago was about as bad as it gets in college football. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of weird because just a few years ago, that was one of the strengths under Larry Fedora. There were a lot of faults during the Larry Fedora era, especially at the end. But one thing that they always seemed to get right was the offensive line. And the frustrating thing is the talent seems to be there. It just wasn't getting the job done. This was an encouraging day for the offensive line. And again, The bigger gauge is going to be when this team ends up playing that first game of the year against Florida A&M, and really, even that game, people will say it's an FCS opponent, so you got to see it moving forward. It's going to take some time to get trust in this offensive line, but you needed to have a good performance on Saturday from this offensive line for you to feel confident. I thought... Corey Gaynor definitely did a good job in the middle for Carolina. And I thought, you know, even for the second-team offensive line unit, I thought Brian Anderson had a really good day as well. That interior pressure that was a problem a year ago wasn't as much of an issue on Saturday. And I think that that was in part – due to the fact that, you know, it is going against the Carolina defensive line, which has questions of their own. But I thought that the guys, for the most part, uh, did a really good job on the interior. But this, this unit just looked more cohesive. I thought, you know, Ed Montillas and I thought William Barnes at right guard looked really, really good. You had Awesome Richards and Zach Rice, who got the start with the ones at offensive tackle. And I thought for the most part both of those guys look pretty good. Awesome Richards, uh, you know, he's a guy that's got a lot of questions on him going into this year. He was one of those guys that was maybe the most inconsistent a year ago. Uh, He was taken out of a couple of games, forced Carolina to do, you know, some moving around. That was most of the time when you would see Joshua Zudu kick out to tackle and Montillis would come in uh, at guard. But Carolina, I think for the most part, has to feel confident with what they saw from that first-team unit, and I thought Zach Rice looked really, really good for a true freshman at tackle. I thought he handled himself very, very well, um, especially against some of the senior guys that you saw out there, uh, like Noah Taylor, like Chris Collins. Uh, I think he was even matched up a couple of times with Des Evans, and I thought he looked really about as good as you could have hoped uh, for him to look. So I think he did a fantastic job, and there's reasons to be encouraged. The second team unit, I thought it was all right. Uh, They allowed, you know, a little bit more pressure, some tackles for loss. Um, And I think, you know, there is a little bit of a clear drop-off there. But there are still some guys, I think – uh, that have the potential moving forward to be factors for Carolina, and I thought you know the interior of the line looked really good as you would expect when you've got Brian Anderson there, you've got Kieran Johnson who was down there. I thought Caden Baker looked pretty good. They moved him around. He went. He, he was out of tackle, also moved into guard, um, and I thought you know you saw some pretty good things from Jonathan Adorno. But uh, the 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 one question mark was at. Left tackle with Wisdom osborough He got worked over a couple of times, back-to-back plays by Dez Evans. So I think he's still one of those guys that you're a little bit concerned about. We saw Eli Sutton. He was a guy that was a four-star heading into last year but needed to add some weight. So I think there's still some question marks there behind those starters. But for the most part, I think Carolina can feel good, really good, about probably, if not if not eight, I think at least seven guys, you can feel really, really confident in on that offensive line, and that's a good position to be in, and I feel like there's a reason to actually have legitimate confidence. Last year, I feel like maybe the confidence was something that was there because everybody kind of looked the same. Everybody was, frankly, in camp probably below average, but... The fact that Carolina's defensive line was, one, extremely young and, two, not very consistent probably made them look a little bit better than they actually were. This year, Carolina's defensive line I think is going to be much better, and we'll talk about them here in just a second. But I think this offensive line is just more stoutly built. I think that there are guys that are a little bit older that are going to be able to contribute, and I think having Corey Gaynor in the middle is going to be huge for Carolina, and that showed on Saturday. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball, talk about that defensive line. I thought for the most part the defensive line looked pretty solid. Clearly the guy that stood out the most in most people's minds was Dez Evans with those back-to-back sacks, and it looks like he's kind of fitting this system a little bit better than the old system. Um, In the old system, there there were times where he would drop back into coverage. He did a lot of things that he probably wasn't used to. This system, at that power end spot, his goal is get to the quarterback on every play. He's still a guy that's probably a little bit smaller than some of the defensive ends that you're going to see in college football. But I think that there is a legitimate chance that this guy, could break out this season. I thought it was going to be last year from everything that we heard in camp, but it feels like this year, with the new system, with the role that he's in, there's more reason for optimism for him to break out. And you saw a little bit of the reason why on Saturday for Carolina. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. I think there are you know some guys behind him that will push him if he does end up struggling, but – with what he showed in that game on Saturday there's reasons to be confident in what he can do some of the other guys look Noah Taylor had a pretty quiet day overall uh, my understanding is that uh he he was a guy that was apparently pretty close uh with Dwayne Haskins um just a, a terrible terrible situation there um and you know we do want to extend our condolences to uh, the Haskins family to the Pittsburgh Steeler family um, to the Washington uh, football organization, um, as well as the Ohio State family. Um, they lost a great young man um, in just a, a horrible situation. Um, and apparently, you know, Noah Taylor was uh, did have a relationship with him or, or at least some of his family, and I think that really could probably affected him um, on Saturday. And he had a pretty quiet day, um, but for the most part, you know, he was one of the guys I think that was probably – talked about the most when it came to spring practice. He earned three of the 11 uh, King of Production awards that were given out uh, by Gene Chiswick on his social media. So this is a guy that's going to come in and I think be extremely impactful for Carolina. He just kind of floated under the radar a little bit on Saturday. Now in terms of the interior guys, I thought Miles Murphy looked apart. He had a couple of plays inside where he did a great job of shedding blocks and, and and being in the area to make plays. I thought Kevin Hester had a pretty solid day. He only had one solo tackle in the game, but he was around the ball a lot. Five total tackles for him. I think there's a role for him. Potentially could be a starting role at some point if Carolina feels like uh, he is deserving of that role uh, moving forward. But we'll see. Uh, Ray Vowasek was not out there. Um, that was, you know, sort of opened the door for some of the other guys to step up, and I think that's why you saw a big day from Kevin Hester, and, you know, I thought there were some other guys that, you know, down there looked pretty solid, looked apart uh, for sure, but, you know, overall, I thought there were some times where they got pushed around a little bit, so It's a work in progress on that defensive line. I I did think, you know, Javari Ritzy was kind of moving around all over the place. So I thought he had some moments where he looked pretty good as well. I expect a big role for him this year in that Tar Heel defense. He moved back to the linebacking core. This was the unit on this defense where we thought they were probably going to look the best out of any of the groups, and, and that was exactly what they did. I thought, you know, for the most part, the starters were kind of quiet. I think they kind of just did their thing. You know, Power Echols, uh and Cedric Gray, both guys, you know, had had solid days for themselves. Uh, you know, Power Eccles four total tackles on the day. Uh, Cedric Gray had just one total tackle, but um, I, I think this was really a stage where they wanted to get a look at the backup linebackers that they had at this position um, because the depth here is really strong and they kind of wanted to show off just how strong that depth was. The guy I think that everybody was looking at coming in was Rara Dilworth. And, you know, he he was around the ball a few times. I mean, he finished with three total tackles in the game. Unfortunately gets banged up late in the game, hoping that he's going to be all right. But the guy to me that stuck out the most, maybe of the entire defense on Saturday was Sebastian Cheeks. He was fantastic. Five total tackles in the game. Four of them were solo tackles. He had a tackle for loss. He had one sack. And he had two quarterback hits. So he did a lot of different things for Carolina. They have been looking for that guy that can get pressure on the quarterback. But that can also sort of form to the mold of a a, a traditional interior linebacker when it comes to helping in the running game. Sebastian Cheeks is a guy that hasn't been talked about as much as the other three linebackers. There's there there's no denying that. But this true freshman means business and I think he's going to have a chance to play a rotational role for Carolina this year. One of the things that we saw especially early on when Mac Brown returned to Carolina was the fact that they ran two linebackers pretty much exclusively For the entirety of that 19-20 and season. It was two guys and they were riding with those guys the whole year. Last year, you saw at times some other guys get sprinkled in there. That's how Cedric Gray eventually earned his starting role when Eugene Asante was struggling. This year, I think you'll start to see a little bit more rotation there. Not because I don't think that the guys that are projected as the starters there are not capable of handling uh, the roles, I think, you know, Power Eccles more than holds his own there. I love the physicality that he brings, and I think he's going to be a fantastic fit for Carolina at the linebacker spot. And then you combine him with Cedric Gray, who had a tremendous year last year, and I think is only going to continue to build off of that. I think it's the fact that you have the talent behind them in Cheeks and Dilworth, where if those guys get tired, you can rotate those other guys in, and there's not going to be really any drop off. At all, and I think you saw that on Saturday. There's a reason to be very encouraged by what you see from the linebacking core. The thing is, is last year those guys performed pretty well. You know, there were some areas. I think Cedric Gray still got to work on being a little bit more of a shorthanded handed tackler. But I thought when we talked to Michael Felder, you know, towards the end of the season, one of the big, one of the things that I thought he he said that made a ton of sense to me was the fact that. These linebackers had a lot on their plate a year ago because the defensive line struggled, and so did the secondary. I think, Carolina, you've got to get that defensive line to produce at a higher level and more consistently. The guys are there. You've got the bodies down there. They looked the part. They have the, you know, to me, it looks like they have the tools to do it. Now it's just about doing it. When it comes to the back end of that defense in that secondary, This was the unit I thought that struggled the most on Saturday. And I think it's the unit that I'm probably the most concerned about right now with this year's team. Don't get me wrong, I'm still a little concerned about that offensive line just based off of what we saw last year. And I don't think you can snap your fingers and all of a sudden it's going to be fixed. But this secondary on Saturday was it was below par for me. Um I thought you know if if you if you look at just overall the performance there were way too many big plays I thought you know you had you had four plays that were you know for for, for 30 yards or more down the field um now one of them was called back but still that that was a play that was ongoing and the only reason that it was called back was cuz of a penalty behind the play So Carolina's got to be better at limiting those catastrophic plays, is what Gene Chizik said in his introductory press conference. And I don't think they did that on Saturday. That's the thing that concerns me the most. Now, look, the thing is, this is a team that is nowhere near full strength on the back end of that defense. Um, They're still missing DeAndre Hollins at corner, um, Day Day Hollins, he is still out due to the injury that he suffered last year, and right now, don't know what the timetable looks like for him moving forward. Um, but Carolina could really use him because early on last year, he showed some pretty good things as a rotational option on the outside at safety. Carolina is missing Jaquarius Conley and Geo Biggers, two guys that started, uh, you know, alongside each other in the secondary at a time last year. But I thought that there were just some inconsistencies. You know, DeAndre Boykins, he gets beat down the field for a touchdown early in the game, comes back, makes a great play to break up a pass uh, later on in the second half of the game. So I, I think that there are some young guys here that are still working through some things, and that's something that you kind of got to expect moving forward. But this team has got to limit the big pass plays down the field, they allowed two hundred and fifty yards passing overall on the day. um, which you know, to me is 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 something that kind of makes you open your eyes a little bit. Granted, this isn't exactly you know, of a, a, a regular game. So there were some things that were a little bit different. Um, you know, as you'll hear from Tom Luganbi coming up here, uh, th- this is, you know the the defensive schemes that they use typically are zone heavy. Um, So Carolina, you know, who knows that they were, you know, in the first time under Gene Chizik, a pretty zone heavy team. Um, But you know, we'll have to wait and see what this ultimately means. But I I was overall, I was a little concerned with what we saw because of how many yards were allowed through the air, and because of the fact that you never really saw Carolina challenge some of these passes in the middle of the field or down the field. It seemed like a really easy day for the quarterbacks and wide receivers to go out there and just pitch it around. So we'll, we'll see moving forward how concerned we should be. I think Mac Brown, you know, coming off of last year where I think he hid some of the concerns from the media as, you know, he, he should, you know, trying to protect some of those as a head coach. I think this year, you know, he may come out and be a little more blunt with some of the concerns that he has, um, and 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 we'll see moving forward. Um, in terms of some of the guys that got banged up, one that we didn't mention there in the secondary, they did lose Dontavius Nash early in the day. He had one tackle, and then he did leave the game with an injury. Um, I do not believe he returned at any point, so that hurts because he had been having a tremendous spring so far. So hopefully, that was just. Them holding him out uh, just to be safe, but we'll have to wait and see uh, if there is anything that actually comes out of that. As I told you, Ra-Ra Dilworth was banged up as well, Um, but the hope is that he was able to kind of shake that off. I don't think he re-entered the game either, but that one uh, makes a little more sense because it was much later in the day. Um, I think actually towards the end of the scrimmage or even before, just right before they put on uh, some of the younger and and, and walk on guys to uh, sort of take over at the end of the game. So uh, overall, you know, I thought it was a pretty solid day for Carolina. they they did what they had to do. I think you got a good look at the quarterbacks out there. You got to look at some of the skill position guys that Carolina uh, is looking at and and letting battle out for for roles on this team this year. And I thought, you know, the offensive line showed some encouraging things defensively. I think it's still clearly a work in progress, and that's what you would expect with a new coaching staff coming in, uh, led by the defensive coordinator Gene Chizik and his co-defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach Charlton Warren. And it's also what you would expect from a unit that's as banged up as that unit is. There are some guys on that defensive line that are still banged up that are working their way back from injury as well. So I I think, as you always do with spring games, you can't put every, you. You can't base your opinion on what this team is going to be off of just what you saw in this game. But I thought this was a good first look at a lot of these guys this season. And uh, you know, Carolina now goes into the off season and will get ready to prepare uh, for that fall camp that will be coming up in August. Um, you know, this is still a key time of the year, though, because Carolina is, you know, not only are the is the coaching staff going to be hitting the recruiting trail, so it's important in that nature, but it's also extremely important for these guys as they go into player-led practices. We've heard from Mac Brown multiple times, especially with two of the biggest quarterback battles that he's had during his coaching tenure, that, you know... The, the summer matters. He said it with Jevenstein and Colt McCoy, who were extremely close in their quarterback battle, entering the spring, or excuse me, exiting the spring and heading into the summer. And we saw it with Sam Howell, Cade Fortin, and Jace Reuter. And he said that one of the factors that he put into making the decision was the fact that the players said when they came back from, uh, fr- from the summer that... Sam, for on the Carolina side of things, and back in the day, Colt was the guys that, that stood out the most uh, in, in the summer. So, I think this is going to be a crucial time, especially for those quarterbacks, when it comes to trying to create some sort of separation before they jump into fall camp. Uh, in the month of August. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back, uh, let you hear from uh, Tom Lugenbill, our interview with him. He was on the call the other day. Him and West Durham along with uh, Taylor Davis were out there uh, at the Carolina spring game. So hear what he has to say about the performance from Carolina in this spring game, his expectations for the 2022 team, and also hear what he has to say about the 2023 recruiting class for Carolina And also, after we're done with that, stick around because we are going to preview the commitment of one of Carolina's more important early targets in the 2022 class. He makes his decision tomorrow. We'll give you that preview and the Tom Luganville interview coming up right after this. The NBA playoffs mean next-level basketball. Get ready for all the action by betting the play-in tournament with DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You clinch a win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you win. Plus, for each day of the play-in, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TPPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game in the play-in tournament, and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TPPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, we now welcome in Tom Luganbill. He is a guy that you guys uh, should be rather familiar with. He did call the spring game from Chapel Hill on Saturday. Him, Wes Durham, were there. He is a college football analyst, also a guy that does a lot of recruiting stuff for ESPN, and he is joining us here uh, on the Heel Tough blog podcast. First of all, Tom, how's it going, man? How did you enjoy your trip up to Chapel Hill and and calling this year's spring game uh, with your friend Wes Durham?
0: yeah it, it, things are going well i appreciate you asking it was a little bit of a brisk day but i'll tell you the folks up in chapel hill and particularly that coaching staff and those kids were just glad to have a spring game you know talking with mac brown you know each of the last three years you had covid so you had no spring game then you had horrible weather plus covid on the other two and they really weren't able to accomplish a whole lot so Um, It was a nice overcast day, but it felt more like a late fall afternoon than early spring.
1: Well, you know, the other thing I got to ask you about that experience from your guys' perspective is, you know, you guys got to call it down on the field. How different was that for you guys, being able to be down on the field and seeing everything that was going on as opposed to being up in a booth and, and calling it like a regular game?
0: Well, for me, quite honestly, it was kind of old hat because I've served on our ABC ESPN crew for the last eight years as, as a field analyst. So my job is as an analyst, but from a field perspective. So for me, it was, it was pretty, pretty routine. I, I think the thing that, that kind of gives it an intimate feel is when you have all three folks down there, you can have three different people looking at the presentation from three different vantage points. You know, Wes could stand over and stand, you know, diagonal behind the defense. I could stand directly behind the offense. Maybe Taylor was running around trying to find an interview. She had a a different perspective. So I think it kind of gives a a little bit of a pull back the curtain type of feel. And, you know, listen, Mac Brown gets it. And most coaches nowadays get that at the end of the day, um, a spring game is essentially a two-hour recruiting video. I mean, that's all it is. And so the, the more you open up the door, the more you mic players or allow us to interview players, the more you allow us to have a talk with the head coach while a play is going on, all that does is help in recruiting. It helps invite people into how the programs run and the discussions that are had between plays here and there. So I love doing games like that. I did the Missouri game. Uh, three weeks ago in the same fashion. I've got the LSU spring game coming up in about 10 days, and I don't know how we're going to do it, but I'm certainly going to suggest doing it all from the field again because that's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, no, I thought it was tremendous and you got to, you know, talk with Mac Brown in between certain plays and and ask him kind of what he was seeing and you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people are kind of wondering about is, you know, what is the mindset of this Torrio football team coming off of last season? Mac Brown's talked about it a couple of times that he just kind of felt like last year guys were reading the headlines a little bit too much. Yeah. Do you get the sense from him that he feels like this team is in a, a better spot and and what do you think about it? after seeing them on the field on Saturday?
0: You know, you never want to lose games, but I think there's probably a part of Mac Brown and that coaching staff that is glad that what happened to them happened a year ago or last fall so that those kids could get a real sense of what happens when you lack focus or you lack work ethic or you lack the proper frame of mindset and the framework of the approach that you have to have to take that next step, because it's not going to be magazines. It's not going to be radio shows or podcasts or TV shows and us broadcasters predicting that a team is going to be a top-10 team. You're going to actually have to go out and do that. And in doing so, the only way to accomplish that is to block out all of that external clutter. And I just don't think that that team understood that. So from that perspective, I think Mac Brown was kind of pleased to get that learning lesson over with, so that he can move forward and have some tangible items to point to and say, hey, listen, we didn't prepare right in this. And he told us, he knew after spring ball last year that something wasn't quite right. Then he started getting really nervous in July. He just felt like this team wasn't in the right focus that they should have been in, and he was right. And that happens to a lot of teams as you're trying to develop a championship mentality, and maybe there's an expectation level that the program hasn't experienced either ever or, in this case, several, several years. And so I think what they did is they got back to hard work, they got back to focus, and to be honest with you, they got back to a physical style of play. Matt Brown said it was one of the most physical 15 days of spring practice he's ever had as a coach, and that takes him back to Texas as well, and he just felt like the team needed that.
1: Well, one of the areas where Carolina had to make some adjustments for sure was on the defensive side of the ball. And you talked about the physicality. That was one of the things that Gene Chiswick sort of preached when he came back in and did his intro press conference. What did you think of the Tar Heel defense in you know, what was basically the first real showing to the public of Gene Chizik's uh, second installment of a Tar Heel defense?
0: Well, it's so difficult to tell because in many regards, this was a defense that didn't have the bulk of their starters back in the secondary. They didn't have the right or the ideal 11 on the field at the same time for an extended period of time. So it was a little bit of a hodgepodge of, of what that defense could look like. What I can tell you and what I, I thought Gene Chizik put this really well when we were discussing with him, you know, how he looked at this defense coming off of last year. And he said, you know, this statistically, was it a bad defense? Yes. But it wasn't a bad defense every single week. And he said that became the focal point for me in the sense that it's not so much were they playing poorly, but they were playing with a lack of consistency, whether it's one series to the next, whether it ends up being one half to the next or one game to the next. You can't show up one week and then disappear the next. And I think that the focus for these 15 days of spring football that just concluded was to have a consistent rate of performance. And in doing so demanding a certain standard being physical. All right. One of the things he mentioned that he didn't think they did a good job of a year ago was getting off of blocks and running to the football. So now you're talking about straining to the football, the term coaches use, we want to strain to the football. So I felt like, the consistency of how they performed outside of, you know, two or three big explosive plays in the spring game, which by the way, in defense of the defense, they're only running cover two and cover three. The, the offense has all of the advantages in the spring game. So you got to kind of take that with a grain of salt. But the thing that I would probably leave you with, and this is something that, that I think is important because it's the one thing that Mac Brown and now Gene Chizik and obviously Phil Longo, the offensive coordinator, has strived to do over the last three years is they're starting to look the part in the offensive and defensive line. They have the body types that you want to have. Now they've got to develop them. And as Mac Brown said it, you know, they look pretty, but can they play the way they look and that's what they're trying to achieve.
1: Well, let's talk about that offensive line. You know, that has been an area that since Mac Brown has returned has kind of slowly decreased its success rate in each of the 3 years, but they end up making the change to Jack McNell Jr. and you know, they do have some some really good prospects down there. It's just are these guys going to pan out? When when you look at some of these guys, you know, with you being a guy that has been around a lot of these young men, w- what do you think about the outlook here at, at on the offensive line for Carolina? And, and do you think maybe a guy like Zach Rice could, could factor in early on?
0: Well, I tell you, you know, Zach Rice, uh, he came out with the ones when the first offense took the field. He was playing left tackle, and so. We knew he was going to play a lot. We knew he would get turned with the ones and twos. They didn't tell us coming into the game whether or not he'd walk out there with the ones, but he did. What I took from you know studying up on them and then talking with the coaches and then then seeing the game being played is that they have a lot of options in the sense that they've got tackles that can play guard. All right? They've got some guards that can potentially play tackle. They feel really good about Corey Gaynor. Um, Zach Rice being the five-star offensive tackle and getting into school early was critical for them because if they're expecting him to play, being in the off season program, being into spring football, going through the summer and then entering into August, now all of a sudden you're not necessarily a true freshman anymore. So I thought that was really, really important, but um, you know, obviously, wisdom out the borough looks apart. Had a had a struggle versus Desmond Evans, who seems to be coming into his own a little bit uh, on two consecutive plays during the course of that course of that scrimmage last week. But I, I just like the the interchangeable parts. Now, this was an offensive line that was very inconsistent. Sam Howell took a lot of lumps a year ago. Um, So they've got to get better in terms of consistency, but they've got bodies and they've got, again, a lot of interchangeable parts.
1: Well, let's talk about the guys that have to replace Sam Howell. We saw three quarterbacks out there. Um, I think some people might have been a little surprised by seeing Connor Harrell over Jacoby Criswell, but as, you know, you guys explained on the broadcast and as, you know, Toriel fans who were watching even a few years ago when Sam Howell was going through his quarterback battle, they did it based off of a coin flip. But you yep. saw all three quarterbacks. What did you think about the quarterback position, and do you think that anybody right now maybe has an advantage in that race?
0: I don't think any one person has an advantage right now, at least not one significant enough where Phil Longo and Mac Brown have probably a real good feel going into the summer as to who's going to come into August and take the lead. I could see this thing not only going into the final week of August, but potentially seeing more than one person play against Florida A&M in the opener. That being said, I'm, I'm making an assumption here, and maybe somebody will just all of a sudden, they'll have a fire lit underneath of them, and they'll just start separating ahead of the pack. But that's not how it is right now. Now, the thing that's interesting about these guys is, first of all, from a body type perspective, none of them look like Sam Howell, and none of them look like the three of each other. You know, you've got Drake May, the big, tall, deceptively good athlete, but he looks like a pocket passer. Then you've got Jacoby, who's a big, thick, he almost looks like a tailback. And then you've got the, the youngster in Connor Harrell, who's really talented, but as expected, right out of high school. He's underdeveloped physically. What all three of them can do, though, is they can really run the football. They can do some things where I think Phil Longo is going to start to try to utilize a little bit more of the quarterback's athleticism to force defenses to have to account for quarterback run on a more consistent basis. So that might be a new wrinkle we see uh, with this offense. But I think a lot of it's going to come down to – them gauging, them being the coaching staff, gauging how the team responds to whichever individual seems to be playing the best. You know, how, what's the locker room like? What's the team chemistry like? Um, and I think it's going to be a difficult decision. What, what I said on air uh, uh, live on Saturday, but I had said privately to coach off air during the course of the scrimmage, was every time one of the quarterbacks, made a couple of plays or drove the offense down and they scored. The next quarterback came in and answered. And then when that guy did it, the third quarterback came in and answered. So the competitive temperament is in the room. It's there. I think that's a good thing. They're just going to have to iron out all the little, you know, details. that's going to separate one from two to three.
1: So when you look at this team, and and again, this is just I, I think a whole you know overall picture, not just based on what you saw the other day, but when you look at the this twenty twenty two Tar Heel team, you know what are the reasonable expectations? Because I think Tar Heel fans are trying to find that that area where they should be kind of looking and, and, and hoping for. But I, I don't know if there really is a set ground right now. What do you look at this team and, and think the expectations should be for this season?
0: Well, number one, I think they're in a good spot. Because it was disappointing a year ago, because things got overinflated and the team didn't respond overly well, I think that actually puts North Carolina into a pretty nice spot with their schedule and with expectations. While they break in a quarterback, you got Florida a and then you're at App State, which can be a bit scary, and you're at Georgia State, but then you play hosts to Notre Dame and Virginia Tech back-to-back weeks. That should give them time to get whoever the quarterback's going to be ready to roll and hopefully entrenched with three game weeks before you play Notre Dame at home. And then I, I think that Because the ACC, top to bottom, is going to be very, very strong at quarterback with the majority of the teams in the conference, but if you look at the two teams they play first, now Tyler Buckner has played for Notre Dame, but he was not the starter a year ago. Virginia Tech, we don't know who their quarterback's going to be. So it might be the two best teams to start off with. Because those two teams might be trying to find a quarterback as well, as opposed to let's just say you had to play Miami and Wake Forest before those two, and now you've got two bona fide quarterbacks that are a real problem. So, um, is this team athletically and depth-wise capable of of getting to eight plus? Yes, I think so, but I also think the quarterback's going to have to play really, really well.
1: So the last question that I'll ask you, you know, you do a great job over at ESPN with the recruiting and everything like that. One of my favorite uh, to follow on social media with all this kind of stuff. You know, when you look at the 23 class, I think, you know, Carolina fans are kind of wondering, are they off to a little bit of a slow start? Because they've got the one commitment from Tad Hudson in state. But outside of that. Carolina hasn't really been able to do as much damage as I feel like people were hoping they would be able to do early on. Do you think that there's a reason for concern in this 23 class coming off of the 2021 season? Or do you think that maybe some of those concerns are are, are maybe uh, a little over-exaggerated?
0: Yeah, I I think they're slightly over-exaggerated. I I, I really do. And and I always look at recruiting as being a marathon, not a sprint. And when, when you look at the 2023 class, and let's just look at the border states, let's say we're going to go Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Right now, out of the top 20 players that we have graded between those three states, only five of them are verbally committed. So I think what we're really talking about here is that the kids themselves haven't gotten out and seen enough. The kids themselves haven't made any decisions. And a lot of that is because, Finally, for the first time in a long time, the coaches are going to be able to get out on the road in the spring. So this May is going to be a big evaluation period. Then the kids are going to get to go to camp in June and July. And if you asked me that same question in late July and August, there would probably be a pretty distinct difference to my answer when it comes to verbally committed kids versus non-verbally committed kids.
1: Well, there you go. So, yeah, I think that uh, it's still early on, for sure. I think Carolina is uh, definitely still in pretty good standing, but uh, th- there is going to be, you know, there are going to be some battles that Carolina is going to be in. Hey, Tom, thanks for stopping by with us, man. We really appreciate you dropping in. Uh, glad that you enjoyed your trip uh, up to Chapel Hill, and uh, glad that you could pr- provide a little bit of insight for us here on uh, what was a-, a fairly exciting spring game for us to watch.
0: You bet, absolutely. I appreciate
1: you having me. All right, you take care. You too. So we want to thank Tom Luganville for stopping by with us. Guys, what a, uh, you know, just a tremendous interview. Uh, Love talking with him. You know, we do it here at the station that I work at with quite often. Um, And he he knows his college football. He's got the recruiting insight as well. Uh, So really appreciate him stopping by with us and, and giving us a little bit of insight of what he saw out there on the field on Saturday. Well, as I mentioned, let's get into the guy that Carolina is going to be watching very closely tomorrow night, and that is 2023 four-star safety Michael Dautry. Carolina is in the running for him. They actually hosted him uh, for an official visit over the weekend, and judging off of his social media, he seemed to enjoy that visit a whole lot. So uh, I'm not going to say Carolina is in the driver's seat because there was a visit the weekend beforehand uh, that I think made a pretty good impression on him as well in LSU. But it feels like those are the two teams right now that are probably in the best spot for him as he heads into his commitment. Now, there are predictions already online for him, uh, and they are going way at least early on of LSU. Now, it's only one prediction. It is Shea Dixon, who is an LSU insider, but he did cast that uh, actually over the weekend. He did it early on Saturday morning, so that's that That timing is rather interesting because coming off of that visit, maybe Dow, uh, Dougherty is feeling a little bit different, but It feels like Carolina is in a pretty good spot for him. And what would Carolina get if they land this young man? Well, this is an extremely talented safety. I I, I talked to you a little bit about him when we were doing our Most Wanted in the uh, 2023 class. When me and Zach Hubbard were doing that just a couple of uh, months ago. And he's a guy that can do a lot of different things for you at safety. First of all... I love his speed. I definitely think that that's one of the elements that's going to factor in here because he can cover so much space uh, in in, in such a short amount of time. But I also think that you know when when you look at him just from an overall standpoint, I don't look. I don't think he's on the same level as Caleb Downs. But I think that there are a lot of the same elements uh, to him. In in terms of what he brings, first of all, that speed. He's got the short area quickness um, that allows him to to, to close uh, very quickly and make plays on the football, both in the run game and in the passing game. He's a tremendous run defender. He's a guy that comes into the box rather often um, and is not afraid of of being physical. He can shed tackles, which is what Carolina wants, Um, and and so I think he's a guy that kind of fits the mold of what Carolina wants in their safeties because – they they are a team and most teams are like this, but especially at Carolina, they look for those guys like Miles Dorn, like my you know Miles Wolfolk when he was there, like, you know, to a certain extent what Cameron Kelly has brought, maybe not on the back end in terms of his, you know, coverage, but especially with his ability to come up and help in run defense, they look for those guys that can come up and defend the run. And that was the same thing with Gene Chizik. Remember, one of his best players in the secondary when he was here the first time around was Donnie Miles. And that's exactly what Donnie Miles brought to the table. You saw a lot of that as well with Dominique Green. So this is the type of guy that fits that mold. And I think he takes it even to another level. Uh, And I think that he is an extremely... Strong tackler I think the thing about him is On film You you don't see him play the football As much You see him in coverage And he handles, handles himself well But he's not that guy That's going to create turnovers I don't think that's a big issue here though With how complete of a player he is overall And just being able to cover when he has to And to be able to come up And help and run defense I think he is a tremendous fit For this Carolina defense, they are in need of guys on that back end, one depth-wise and two talent-wise. And I think this guy brings everything that you need. He plays at an extremely high level in the state of Georgia. He plays at Grayson High School, which is a team that has taken on multiple teams from outside the state. They play a a relatively national schedule as much as you can for a high school football team. And This is a a guy that just looks the part. He stands out on film whenever you watch Grayson play. I think Carolina would be ecstatic to have him. And as we talked about, I think it was the last edition of the podcast when I mentioned that he had um, his official visit set. This is a guy that would provide insurance for you in case you do not land Caleb Downs. And I want to make this clear. This doesn't mean that If you get Caleb Downs, then you can either push Michael Darity out of your class or that this means that he is a guy that's not going to factor in for you at the safety position. This is a guy that, look, if you land Caleb Downs with him, you can put two of the best safeties in this class together and have one of the best defensive backfields in the ACC, if not the country, if enough things break right. But if you don't land Caleb Downs, you've at least got a guy – in Dowdy, who I think will bring a lot of talent to your class, and could do a lot of the a lot of similar things that Caleb Downs can do for you at the safety position, maybe just not on the same level that you're going to get from a guy in Downs, who's a five star, who's seen as an extremely rare prospect. Um, but Dowdy is an ex- is a very solid guy; would be a great addition to this class and would help Carolina to get off to a really good start because in the state of Georgia where Carolina is pursuing a lot of guys i think that's in large part due to the charlton warren influence but carolina wants to get off to a good start in that upper you know uh, the the northern part of georgia into the atlanta area that's where Car- that's in the footprint for carolina and i think that with the amount of talent that is in this class, in that area, Carolina wants to get off to a good start in that area. It would help to ease some of the tensions that some people may have about this 2023 class, as I as I asked Tom Lugenbill earlier. And I think it would add – you know, a guy that you need on the back end of this defense moving forward. So we'll have you covered with all of that on the website, heeltopblog.com Make sure you head over there and check it out. I'll have a preview article up tonight about the commitment, so make sure that you guys are looking out for that. I will also uh, have you guys covered whenever he does commit, and if he does commit to LSU um, or some other school possibly, but I think it's probably coming down to Carolina and LSU – We'll, we'll let you know uh, where Carolina kind of goes from there. Um, if Carolina lands them, though, we'll, of course, have the in-depth breakdown of uh, what he brings to the table and what it means for this Carolina defense moving forward, uh, along with some other great stuff on the website. We've got, you know, spring standouts. That article will be coming out. I did want to get that out here before. Uh, we did end up talking uh, about Michael Dougherty, but unfortunately I am not going to be able to get that up before uh, we do go through all of this, so that'll be up later in the week. We'll tell you about some of the guys that stood out the most in spring camp, uh, and then we'll also tell you, you, you can go back and uh, and look at, I should say, the recap uh, of the spring game, and you can also check out the stock report from the spring game, so it kind of gives you our takeaways from the spring game. It tells you, uh, you know, the stock report tells you a little bit about some of the guys that, you know, had good performances, helped their stock, just specifically in the spring game, some of the guys whose stock may be trending down a little bit after the spring game, all that stuff over there are on the website. And uh, on the basketball side of things, things are, are, are pretty wrapped up. Now, Josh is going to have you covered. There are some big-time decisions coming up uh, for some of the guys that were a part of that national championship run, Caleb Love, Armando Baycott, Leaky Black, R.J. Davis, all those guys still yet to make their decisions. So when those decisions come down, he will have you covered. And on the recruiting side of things for basketball, we are inching closer. We don't have a specific day, but we are inching closer to the decision from Gregory Jackson. So make sure that you guys are keeping an eye on the website. Whenever that eventually comes down, Josh is going to have you covered with everything that you need to know about Gregory Jackson's commitment, how it affects Carolina, whichever way it goes, and it's all in one spot, HeelToughBlog.com. You can check out those articles as well as all the editions of the podcast, the uh the the addition the the waveform editions of the podcast as well, all in one central location. It is on the Facebook page, at Heel Tough Blog on Facebook. Make sure you also check out our other social media page, Twitter, at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter. You can check out the personal pages for us as well, at HTB Anthony for me, at htb Josh for Josh, and at hackzubber 2 for Zach Hubbard he will be back to break down uh, what happens with the Michael Darity commitment whether he commits here or not we're gonna bring him on we're gonna talk about what it means for Carolina moving forward and everything like that so keep an eye out for that coming up in terms of the podcast side of things if you are a listener Make sure that you are subscribed wherever you listen, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, any of those great spots. Make sure that you are subscribed so that you don't miss any editions of the Heel Tough blog podcast. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. I want to thank Tom Luganbill for stopping by with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels!